Turn your Bible once again to Psalm 119, beginning in verse 89. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 89, 12th section of Psalm 119. And we come to a section that is important, not just as there's 22 sections, this is the 12th. It's not important just because it's the first part of the second half of the 22 sections. But it's important because the psalmist, the writer of this psalm, has kind of crested a hill. And the hill was laden, as we'll see here in a little bit, with some pretty strong affliction in his life from all sides. And he kind of has now gotten to the top. And as he crests and comes over, he begins a time of praise and reflection of what brought him through that time. So it's about the God's word. We're going to talk about God's word this morning. The importance of the word of God in our lives. I find it interesting that God always seems to bring multiple messages on one specific area when he's trying to get something through. If you were in first light this morning, and by the way, if, you, if you're not able to come to first light or if you, that's not in your regular attendance, I, I just would encourage you to make that time. Um, there's been many times on Monday mornings where Bob and I pray, Monday afternoons when we pray, we talk about, wow, I wish everybody had been there for that. It's just a really rich time of study of the word and a different, a different genre and light um, and personality that can come from, that comes differently than in this room. So I just encourage you to make that time. But Mark was speaking about the Trinity this morning and he talked about the word of God. So there's part of this and I'm going to talk about the word of God today. And Preston talked to me right before the service and, and they were talking about the word of God. And then we have the Hill Country Bible Conference and they're talking about the word of God. So there's an importance, uh, there's an important theme here, I think, uh, pretty obvious. The attack on the, on the word of God, the Bible today is pretty immense. And I'm going to mention just a few of the attacks, but it's under a tremendous attack. Certainly, probably one of the more common ones is evolution versus creation. There's been, that's been an attack that's been going on for some time, but it seems to be heightened in many ways now. Where we want to rip out the first couple chapters of Genesis, and we want to twist it to however we want it to be. Or we want to take the first couple chapters of Genesis, and we want to twist them with our own bit of thinking, and keep those in there. So there's an attack there. I think there's an attack within Christian circles as well. And I think that attack would be on the sufficiency of Scripture. That somehow you need God's word, but you also need a little something extra. You need to bring something to the table because it's not quite enough in and of itself. And that's a subliminal thought by many. It's there's certainly people that that's something they're very much thinking about, that God's word isn't applicable and sufficient for everything. But I think for a lot of Christians, that's just something that kind of happens. They think, well, that's a good thing, but the Bible is kind of a dusty old tome and we need a few extra new age thoughts that can be plugged in there to really bring forth power. But that's, that's not the way God designed it, and that's weakening the power of God's word. So there's an attack. Another attack, which I, I won't get into for the sake of time and argument, would be on the attack of different translations. Now, I'm not against if you're reading an NASB or you're reading an ESV or a KJV or all the other translations that are out there. And a lot of them are really good. But there are currently, as we speak, groups of men that are bringing forth new translations that our child, my children and my children's children and my children's children's children 
will not recognize this, what I'm reading from this morning. Because they're taking things and twisting it and putting in words and taking out words that are not applicable to the original text. Even the new ESV that they're coming out with has got some things that I disagree with. I'm certainly not the authority by any means on biblical interpretation, but I think we've got to be careful there that we're not allowing ourselves to be watered down to what God is trying to get to us. So the attack on God's word is immense. So my desire simply this morning is to let God's word speak. Charles Spurgeon was approached by a young minister who said, how do you defend God's word? And his answer was simply, how do you defend a lion? Loose it. So we're certainly going to let God speak this morning through his word. We don't need to add anything to it. He has plenty to say. And we'll just study it together and make a few notes and pray that by the power of his word, the work of his word through the power of his Holy Spirit, we might be changed. So if you've got your Bible open, if you've not turned there, but if you've got your Bible open to Psalm 119, verse 89, there's a degree of importance that we can weigh of, uh, that we can approach God's word and probably the degree of importance that you uh, view God's word on is going to be by um, how you, the degree of understanding by which you view God's word is going to be probably applied by how important you think it is. So if this is God's word, the holy, holy, holy God, then I believe it would be important for us to rise this morning as we would read this. So please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. Psalm 119, read this earlier, but again, let's read this together. 89 through 96. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Please bow with me in prayer once again. Father, we come now to your word and we trust the promise that it's sharp as a two-edged sword that it is alive and well. This is not a just a word that you one time spoke and is no longer applicable, but it is alive and speaking to us. God, I thank you that you've given us your word. You've given us a way and a means to hear from you, to hear your instruction to us as a loving Heavenly Father, to know how we can live life in a way that is pleasing to you. So may we, Father, approach the word this morning with a gravity of weight, a gravity of soul, a weight of soul. This is important. You are are seeking to speak to us this morning. May we not take this lightly. So may we delight to hear your word spoken to us this morning. That that delight would, would would drown out all other delights. Father, we thank you and praise you for the body of Christ this morning. for The people that have assembled in this room to study the word together. Father, we're waiting for a word from you. It is here. 
Help us to hear it clearly. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Twelfth section. As I said, the psalmist is cresting the hill. And he's, he's reflecting back in a time of praise and adoration upon what the Lord has done and what has brought them through this time of, of difficulty. And let's just look at a few verses to remind ourselves of some of the affliction he's come through. Uh, verse 83 and 84 of Psalm 119. For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? How about 69? Verse 69. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. There's an affliction, the insolent smearing with lies. 61. Not taking anywhere near all of the ones that could, we could use, but just highlighting. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. 23. 23 of Psalm 119. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Certainly much difficulty, uh, a time of challenge for the psalmist. And so we, we approach these eight verses. I'm going to approach them in three sections. The first section is going to be 89 through 91. 89 through 91, three verses there. The second section is going to be 92 through 95. And the third section by which we will use see some application of this will be in 96. So three points for each section. Three points for the first two sections. 89 through 91, let me again read this. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. Point number one. God's word is powerful. Point number one, God's word is powerful. It is firmly fixed. You notice in 89, 90, it stands fast. 91, by your appointment. The word of God is not just one word, meaning Bible, meaning meaning that's just one word. I I could say one word. But if you go, if you came today, uh, I'm saying a whole bunch of words But oftentimes you could go home and say, what was the word given? Well, what you're meaning is, what was the entirety of the message? And the Bible is not just one word. It is a message. That's one way of looking at it. But it is also a a message that is alive and well, which you've spoken of. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But God also speaks one word at times. You can think of when he created the heavens or in Genesis. There's times when he said one word. And we'll look at some of those instances. Let's go to Genesis 1-3. The word of God is powerful. We're just going to cruise through a few portions of scripture here where we can see God or his son, Jesus Christ, speaking and that word being powerful. Now, One of the attacks I mentioned was evolution versus creation. And evolutionists have been trying for years to try to get something to just kind of come forth. But not only did this world just come forth, it was spoken. God spoke and it was there. Think about that. That has to be an immensely powerful word that moves physically 
this earth to create it. Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. He said it. It was there. It didn't wait. It happened. It is powerful. Matthew 8. Matthew 8. Matthew 8, verses 23 and 27. 23 through 27, excuse me. Matthew 8, 23 through 27. And when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. He said it. There was a storm. He said something. We don't know what he said. He said something. He rebuked him. Stop. Cease and desist. Whatever it was, he said something. It was done. Now, we have to remember, Hebrews 4.12, this same word by which he spoke and can, can physically move things and create things is the same word that you have in your lap this morning. The same word that, by God's grace, you will read this week. That's the power of this word. Let's look at a few more. Mark 10. We could look at a number of the miracles Christ performed by word only. But here's Christ in Mark, 11, Mark 10, 51, healing Bartimaeus, who is blind. And Jesus said to him, 51, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. God often uses words to speak his power. He uses the word as power. His word is powerful. Last one, John 18. John 18, verse 4. Try to get a picture of this. This is an incredible... In fact, John is the only one who mentions this out of all the Gospels. None of the other uh, Gospels mention this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't mention this. John mentions this. And I, and I find it interesting he does so. John, the book of John was written to, to bring the Gospel. It's a, it's, it's a tool to speak the gospel. And I think it's important that he, I think this is why he mentioned it. But look what happens in 4 through 6 here. John 18. We're in the garden. Judas is coming up. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to him, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Notice this. Jesus said to him, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to him, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Can you get a picture of this? Here's these men. They're, they got their torches and swords or whatever else they've got. And they're, they're, they're just yearning to grab this man. who they, Their hatred is so built up for him. And he quietly says, I am he. And they're blown off their feet. I mean, what a picture. Can you imagine picking yourself up off the ground and going, what just happened? I'm supposed to grab that guy? There's no way. 
I am he, the power of God's word. And this is what we read every single day. There are five analogies in the Bible that demonstrate the different aspects of God's word. You see in 1 Peter 2, 2, that the word is the milk by which we are nourished. Donald Barnhouse, a great Bible teacher, says this. All the world is organized to feed and strengthen the old nature. Think about that. Everything that you're going to encounter today and tomorrow and the next day in the world is, is designed and organized to feed and strengthen your old nature. But there is only one food for the new nature, and that is the word of God. The word of God is the milk. It is the nourishment to our soul. Psalm 119.105, the word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. There's many dimensions and aspects of the word of God. It can nourish us. It can lead us. It's not, unfortunately, the way we desire to be, some broad, powerful beam, lighthouse amount of light that's blowing our path and we can see five miles in advance and go, that's where I want to be. That's where God's leading me. It's more like a, a little light as you're walking along the path and it's just enough to give you the next couple steps. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Go with me to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, verse 29. There are two analogies spoken of here. Jeremiah 23, 29. So when you're, com- when you're coming to Scripture, you need to know these. There's power in knowing these analogies. Because if you need direction, the word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. If you need nourishment, there's Psalm 119, 105. If you need um, power to fight the enemy, we'll go to the next one here in a minute. But there's Ephesians 6, the, word, the sword of the Spirit. Here's an interesting one. If you, need, if, you, if you need your soul broken, 29, in conviction, Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. We have Ephesians 6.17. The sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. What do you need in the word? It's got everything that you need for it. Everything you need in your life. For growth and godliness. Point number one. God's word is powerful. This is the word that we are approaching this day. Point number two. Point number two is creation is an excellent testimony of God's fixed word. If you go back with me to Psalm 119, you see much of the psalmist, the psalmist making much of God's creation. Firmly fixed in the heavens, established the earth, stands fast by your appointment, meaning the earth and what he created, they stand this day. Here's an excellent, or an, an idea for you to take, and I think it's a pretty good one. It encourages me. Take a sheet of paper on one side, Write Psalm 119, 89 through 91. Just handwrite it out. Flip the paper over, and on the other side, write as many of God's promises as you can possibly pack in there. I mean, just write it in a small detail. Just pack it in there. And then find yourself a time where you can go out in God's creation, where there's not the distractions that are out there. You can just be out in God's creation and just spend time meditating on Psalm 119, 89 through 91. And read it over and over and over again. And as you're reading it over and over and over again, Look out in creation. Look at the sky. Look at that tree that's however many years old. Watch the flower over here that somehow every year, drought, whatever it is, annually it comes up. See that bird over there that's making a nest. Observe God's creation. Because that word... 
that set the world in motion, that set the boundaries of the way our world grows and exists and is contained, that is the same word that, that, is the, that comes, that word that was spoken there is, comes from the same individual, person, work, spirit, God, who speaks into our lives. That's the same power. So when you flip that paper over and you got the promises of God's word, you can know that thing still exists and it's been there a long time. Then this is going to come true as well. Do you see the analogy there between the physical and the spiritual? You're able to see God's creation and apply that to being encouraged in your soul, knowing, hey, if, if this is continuing to exist, God's word is firmly fixed in the heavens it will continue. God's promise is true. If God says something, if he commands something, if he gives us a, a promise, he's also going to give us the grace and the ability to, to obey it and to live it and to study it, to know it. Point number three. Point number one, God's word is powerful. Point number two, God, creation is an excellent testimony of God's fixed word. Point number three, this word is from the most high judge. You see this in 91. By your appointment. That word appointment is a Hebrew word, mishpat. And it's a judicial word. It's as if you went into a courtroom and there's a judge in there and he gives a, he gives a, a, he speaks a word and he says, you know, this is going to happen. You have to do this. Or he puts a law into order. This is the, the context of that word. So this word here is from a most high judge. And we must understand that. You see the, the second part there of 91. For all things are your servants. All things, all things are the servant of the Most High King. Now, we, we rebelled against that. We, we decided, we chose sin is better. We don't need what God has for us. But he still, in God's grace, even uses that sin for his glory. Because everything works out according to his plan. This, this appointment, you can think of it as a predetermined plan. He, he set forth in motion a predetermined plan by which all things live and move and was and is set in motion by the word of God. God set this in motion. We can think of Romans eight twenty eight and then 29, that all things work together. Why? Because they're for the glory of God and they're conforming us, in verse 29, into the image of his son. And note, when it says all things, that even means Satan. We oftentimes are deceived by the enemy to think Satan is working outside of God's direct edict. Not so. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Even Satan is inside the control and rule of God. This word is from the Most High Judge. Creation is an excellent testimony of God's fixed word. God's word is powerful. Second section, 92 through 95. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimony. 92, if you were to take some of the words and, and break them down into what they mean, you could say, 92, if your law had not been in my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It could essentially say, if your instruction, law, had not been my delight, I would have wondered in my misery. That's another way of, of saying what, what's going on there. 
If your instruction had not been my delight, I would have wondered in my in your misery, in my misery. Point number one in the section, second section is wondering misery is for those who do not delight in God's instruction. Wondering misery is for those who do not delight in God's instruction. What is, the, what is your testimony? Would your testimony be when you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Consider my servant. He delights in my instruction. I want that to be my testimony. That's a fight. That's a fight. It's a fight to delight in God's word. But is that... Is that your testimony, that you delight in God's word? Men in this world today, they will fight and scratch and kill and do whatever they need to do to gain delight. And yet here we have in God's word right in front of us. And we're so privileged in America to probably have numerous Bibles within our homes. It's right there. The delight that really is fully satisfying. Do you delight in God's holy word? Second point is life from the word is forged by experience. Life from the word is forged by experience. And I I picked that out of uh, 93 for by them you have given me life. Now. Every one of us here probably have verses or passages of scripture that there was a time in our life or that just got sunk in. And we're supposed to memorize and meditate on scripture. And I encourage you to do that. But I remember when I first started working with wood, a man telling me that glue is a whole lot more powerful bonding agent for two boards than nails. And I thought, no way. I've, you've never seen what nails can do. No, you have nails together. You can work them and work them and work them and eventually pop the whole thing apart. What happens when you get glue? Well, if you get glue on there and it's really well set and it's two straight flat boards and you get those things pressed together, you try to break that and you will break the boards before you break that bond. What the point is here is, essentially, I encourage you to be in the Word. Because you're not going to be able to have that Word literally melt into your soul in times of affliction if you don't already have it. But we could all give testimony. I remember in 2003, my grandmother died. Ten years ago. And Matthew 22, 37-40 became melded into my soul. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thinking, my grandmother just died. She's standing before the gates of heaven. What's her testimony? And if I die today, what's my testimony? Is my testimony going to be, he loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength? Man, that became powerful to me. In 2001, I remember I was on a bus. I couldn't say anything, and I couldn't look out the window because I was in alert. And they tell you, you're going to go on a 12-hour hike. And what they don't tell you is it's really only eight hours, and you're not going to go 30 miles in 12 hours. You're going to go 30 miles in eight hours with brakes. That's moving with a 50-pound pack up and down, thinking, there's no way I'm going to get this done. And reading a, 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 a letter that, that Josh Levine, some of you know Josh, had sent me, Saying, read Psalm, read Psalm 18 before you go. So I opened Psalm 18. Man, that just got melded into my soul. In 2007, uh, my brother Kyle was involved in an accident, almost in an accident in, in the Guadalupe River where he almost drowned. And I remember getting out of that river and all of the uh, adrenaline that was running through my body and going right back to Psalm 18. And it was, it was melded deeply in there. In 2007, there was a road trip I took and I was thinking, God, I just, I I need to, I I need encouragement to my soul and him bringing 1 Timothy into mind. I remember being in college, 2006, Psalm 118 came into my mind, understanding deeper, in a deeper way how the gospel, how the, how, 
Now the work of Christ is in this word. And even getting it in Psalm 118. This is the day you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because the stone which the builders has rejected has become the chief cornerstone. There's the gospel. Romans 6, 1997, when I was 14 years old, memorizing that for the first time. There's just, every one of us have it. And you've got to be in it so that when you go through the fire, it'll be there. But I, one, of the, one of the things I mentioned as an attack on Scripture at the beginning here that, that is so difficult for us is the sufficiency of God's Word. We go into this fire, or we've not been in God's Word much. We go in, and we're thinking, there's something else. And, and there are other means of grace. This is a means of grace. You being in corporate worship with the body. Hearing words come out of my mouth, that's a means of grace. Hearing the preaching of God's Word. Being in prayer, encouragement of the body of believers, all those things are means of grace. But, but you've got to be, Scripture alone is sufficient. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is sufficient to instruct, to correct, to change, to train, to encourage, to save third point I want to make in this second section is the Word saves us. The Word saves us often from what we do not know it saves us from. Look at this. 90, 95, or 94, 95. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. If you're a college student and you're in God's Word, you probably don't even know the amount of influence upon your worldview that you've been saved from. You won't know it. There are things that just by diligently and systematically and and in a a way that is hungering and thirsting after righteousness, being in God's word, you will be saved from things that you don't even realize you're you're saved from. We often think, well, of course, I'm going to read God's word today because I'm going into this tough situation. Well, there's so many aspects of life that you're saved from, that the word saves us from that we don't even know. That's a great reason to be in the word of God. Because God's using that to literally save you from things that you don't know. It could be physical. Oftentimes, it's spiritual. Now, let me go into this third section here. And this is, uh, I want to, to get to the heart of the matter here and some practical application. Let me read just a few commentaries. Um, Charles Spurgeon on 90, uh, verse 96. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Charles Spurgeon, there is no such thing as perfection in anything which is the work of man. When the breath of the law is known, the notion of perfection in the flesh vanishes. That law touches every act, word, and thought, and is such a spiritual nature that judges the motives, desires, and emotions of the soul. Matthew Henry, there's different debate as to who wrote Psalm 119. Matthew Henry contributes it to to David. This is what he says. David in his time had seen Goliath, the strongest, overcome. Asahel the swiftest overtaken, Ahithophel, the wisest befooled, Absalom, the fairest deformed. If anybody had seen all of the uh, limit to perfection of man, David was certainly a man who's seen it. But what is, some, what is some practical application this morning that we could get to? And I think probably the practical, or the exhortation, exhort, exhortation to you would be, go this week and delight in God's word. And we could give much practical application as to how to work that. Get a Bible reading plan. Find somebody to keep you accountable. There's many things that could do that. But I want to 
for the sake of time, just ask some heart-probing questions. So if you've not heard me say anything, I, I beg for your ears right now. Because I want you to listen to some of these questions to get to some of the heart of the matter of the way we view the Word of God. And I'm going to ask four of them. And here's the first one. Why do so many Christians live as, as if the Word of God was sort of true? Why do so many Christians live as if the Word of God were sort of true? Anxiety, fear, lust, anger. We struggle with these things. Why do we live so often as if the Word of God is sort of true? Well, I think you can go back to the garden. What happened in the Garden of Eden? We had, the, we had a, a perfect situation. And there was temptation. And Adam and Eve decided there's, there's something else. There's something better. There's something else that God's word is not giving me that I need to, to go through life. And that same original temptation thousands of years ago is still being employed today. You're still tempted every day. You don't need this word. You don't need to read it that much. Just check it off. Just get it done. Move on with life. There's other things that you need. Still, still the same temptation. Something that God would be holding back that you so rightfully deserve. It's the temptation. Second question. Think about this one. Is it a sin to not read your Bible? Think about that. Is it a sin to not read your Bible? If you didn't read your Bible yesterday, did you sin? Is it a sin to not read your Bible? I'm going to say yes and no. No and yes. No. I don't see anything God's word that says, if you don't read my Bible on... Between 7 and 8 a.m. in the morning, you are sinning. There's nothing of that nature. Now, careful here, very careful here. That doesn't give you license to just miss all you want. Okay? But very, a, a companion question to that would be, is if you're not reading your Bible, is there a sin that's keeping you from reading your Bible? See, it's really about the attitude here. Because you could go to your, your Bible checklist tomorrow and check, 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 check. And, you know, just, you know, well, I'm behind by... Three days, so I'm going to read 12 passages and get it done. And that's, that's, that's not what we're going for, okay? What's your attitude to reading the Bible? Now, if I'm not reading the Bible, personal testimony, it is sin for me to not read my Bible. Do you know why? Because if I do not read my Bible, I'm going to sin. I'm not going to read my Bible because I don't need it, pride. I have something I'd rather do, idolatry. Uh, I have too much work. Priorities are out of whack. There's, there's so many things that will come. I'm not saying you're sinning by not reading your Bible yesterday. But what I am saying is if you did not read your Bible yesterday, be very careful. Because you have been set free from the law of sin and death. You have every ability to not sin if you do not read your Bible. But are you going to? No, because God is ordained by, through the means of grace, through the reading of his word, that that would help you to not sin. That's how he has ordained that things would allow us to continue in righteousness. We're going to fight that sin nature. We are saints, but we fight an old nature and we cannot do this without the means of grace. Remember, Donald Barnhouse said, all the world is organized to feed and strengthen the old nature. 
there is only one food for the new nature, and that is the Word of God. Now, think of a practical analogy here, and here would be one. The Word is uh, the bread of life. Okay? If you decided to fast tomorrow from food, it's going to be a struggle for a few days. But about the third or fourth day, you're going to feel pretty good. In fact, you might feel better than you did three or four days beginning from, from that time. How long can you fast? Well, Christ fasted 40 days. And there's been other testimonies of men fasting in the 60, 70, 80 plus days. Now, they may not feel very good. What's happening, though? After the three or four day period, you feel pretty good. But you're getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker, slowly. And you're going to get down and down. If you just keep on fasting, you eventually die, obviously. But you could go pretty low. And what happens, though? It happens a lot of times with Christians. Spiritual, back to the spiritual here. We run back to the Word going, Ah, I missed it. I'm going to try to eat a steak. And you jump into Word, try to go to Morton's. You take out some deep theology and you try to... Physically, it'd kill you. You can't do it. This is that, that's the subtle temptation here is, Oh, I didn't read my Word yesterday. I feel pretty good. Didn't read it the day before. Yeah, I'm still doing pretty good. Hey, I heard a great sermon today, but I didn't read the Word. It's still doing pretty good. But you're slowly doing this. Slow in doing this. The word says to grow in grace. The word is nourishment. For Second Peter 3.18, grow in grace the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how are you going to grow in grace if you don't have nourishment? You can't grow. You've got to have the word of God. It is imperative. Last question in closing here. Do you realize that the only way you are able to read this word and understand it it's because of the blood of Christ that was shed for you upon the cross. Do you realize that the blood of Christ was shed for you so that you might be able to read and understand the word of God? I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Go with me to John 19. We mentioned at the beginning of this message that God's word is powerful. I mean, went to specific scriptures, but I want to show you one that I didn't mention. John 19. John 19. Look with me at this. Verse 30. Christ is on the cross. Christ is on the cross. Look what happens. When Jesus, verse 30, notice this, had finished the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is done. He shed his blood that that word might be, it might be finished. The work of the gospel is finished. It is done. And notice, I, I love preaching after Mark Brislavsky because he sets me up so well. But notice he talked about the word of God this morning being Christ. Go back to Psalm 119, 89. Thy word is firmly fixed in the heavens. The word, God, Jesus Christ, is firmly seated at the right hand of the Father. It is finished. It is done. The blood of Christ was shed for you so that you could get into this word and understand it. And do we, apply, do we, do we approach it so flippantly that the, that the Son of Man, the Son of God, the perfect the perfect man was spilt for us. We approach it so flippantly. I've been studying 
my family history. And I've discovered that my great-grandfather was a, was a renowned singer across the U.S. and Canada. He sang Handel's Messiah solo section, tenor section, 42 times. He was one of the, he's one pastor of one of only six churches in the South at that time that boasted 6,000 members. I, I, I'm studying this and going, wow, my grandfather's an amazing man. He wrote a hymn. He wrote a hymn. It's in a, it's in a hymnal. It is finished by Ellis Lee Carnett. It is finished, said my Savior, as he hung on Calvary. Oh, the painful, oh, the awful pain and anguish suffering there for you and me. It is finished. It is finished. My salvation full and free. Jesus paid the debt for sinners when he died on Calvary. It is finished, said my Savior. He had wrought salvation's plan. See him as by God forsaken, hanging there for sinful man. It is finished. It is finished. My soul, my salvation full and free. Jesus paid the debt for sinners when he died on Calvary. You see the glory of the gospel? You see what Christ has done for you? Do you understand what he's done for you? Do you realize his love for you? Do you realize that he has paid the debt for sinners when he died on Calvary? Your sin, my sin? Do, you, do we realize our utter dependence upon him? How are you going to delight in God's word when there's so much delight in everything else? You're going to delight in it by, by understanding the immense love by which he has wrapped around you. And the deeper you grow in that understanding of it, the deeper delight, if you're a true believer, the deeper the delight in that. But, but you've got to go to it. You can't just wake up in the morning and think, I'm going to love Jesus. That's not the way he, he's worked it out. You've got to go and see and read and know and by his grace understand what he's done. You've got, you can't just think it. You've got to go here. And, and when you gain that deeper delight, then, you, then, then you're committed, committed to that word. So if you've wandered from a delight in the word, I, I just would implore you, come back. Draw near to God while he, so that he, he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come back to the word. That's, this is the only means of delight that you can have. If you have a delight, true delight, if you have a delight in the word, I would just encourage you to deepen it and to take that delight and to strengthen those that are weary around you. Study it more. Be more in awe of your Savior. Grow a deeper delight for Him that that delight might never wane. Amen? Let us pray. Oh, Father, I would pray that we would have, if we do not, or if we do, that we would grow and develop a deep delight in Your Word, understanding that it is sufficient, that it is powerful, that it saves And that, Father, that you spilt your blood upon the cross. That we could, that we could even have, an under, have a time here. Father, may we not treat it flippantly this week. May we come to adore it and treasure it. And delight in it. Father, I pray that we would be believers of the word. That every, every word that comes from our mouth. Every thought we would be seeking to purify by the word and that we would be seeking to to grow to be more like you by the study of that word so that what comes out is is you not us oh father i pray that this week 
you would give us such a hunger and thirst after righteousness. Lord, I know, I know some here, I know I struggle at times to not be in the word like I should. And so there's not the hunger and thirst that I ought to have. But I plead for grace that you would give us a desire, even tonight, tomorrow morning, to awake and be in that word. And that we might see you. We might know you. We might understand in a greater way the living God who has bought us not for ourselves. We've been bought with a price. We are not our own. We are yours. We are your servants. And oh, Father, we desire to to walk in your way. Father, I pray that if we are not listening to your instruction, we are not in your word, that you would have mercy on us says in Proverbs, Lord, a, a wise man hears his father's instruction. And Lord, that would mean that we would be fools for not desiring to hear our father's instruction on a daily basis. And may we hear it with an attitude, a good attitude, a delighting attitude. That is what you delight. For us to delight in you. So Lord, I pray that we might be men and women, children of the word. I pray for this weekend as we would again hear your word spoken about your word that we would that might just grow in in even greater delight and passion for it. May we protect it by it. May we treasure it in our hearts daily hiding God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. In Jesus precious name we pray. Amen.